stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Surprise! Lewis didn't win the title, and for the first time in 2,000 days, Kimi Raikkonen wins? Welcome back to Motorsport 101. And of course, the return of your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison. I am back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 166 of Motorsport 101. We're running out of darts checkouts quite rapidly for episode numbers here. We've we've only got two to go. You can't even check out on one sit sits. I know, it's a bogey (laughs) number. It's a pain in the arse. But uh, there you are for you, folks. Good to be back, as always. Dre here with you. And... uh, and as usual, we've got our usual uh, plethora of wonderful side hosts, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, I'm glad to have not been deposed in a violent coup. <laughs> My one-week <laughs> reign is over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, amazingly, King didn't completely shit the bed last week. Only one angry email. Um, like I said, that a good week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Church of Dre is back to restore order and peace to the world. Um, more on that later. Um, the Church of Dre appreciates Kimi Raikkonen's noble sacrifice. Um, <laughs> and in the meantime, welcome back, Mr. RJ O'Connell as well. Yes, Hello, sir. Yes, won't you put your yes on the table? Won't you put your blessings in the hands of the Church of Dre? Won't you say yes? Won't you put the yes on the table? for Scuderia Ferrari taking four months worth of upgrades taking them off the car and actually getting their shit together won't you put your yes on the table for dumb strategies that never work actually working because the other team just galaxy brained themselves on the table won't you put your yes on the table for the US Grand Prix hallelujah (laughs) praise be glory to RJ O'Connell Praise be. Praise be. Our, our RJ of perpetual motion. Um, <laughs> pleasure to be back as always. And uh, boy, we actually have quite a heat show on this one. Not only um, a, a full review of, of, of last weekend's actually quite surprising United States Grand Prix. Um, we have a pretty heaped new section as well, including more F1 driver confirmations, a big reshuffle in Formula E, um, big news out of IndyCar, the brand they're all hoping for isn't going to be here next year, probably, a massive Formula 3 entrance list, and the big Super Formula season finale at Suzuka, and a preview for Mexico as well, where surely Lewis Hamilton will capture his fifth world title where that's concerned um as well bit of general housekeeping before we get into some of the fun stuff for this week as well we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 we're on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 if you'd like to follow us personally you can at harrison 101 hd at rj o'connell and at ryan eric king that's with two k's um, and if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. We're on patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to both this show and our sister show, Bike Live. Episode 83 of that went live this past, actually almost a week ago now, because we actually recorded both shows early last week. Aren't you guys lucky? Um, see what happens when Lewis gets a week off work. <laughs> we all benefit. Um, so yeah, episode 83 of Bike Live is now available. The Pocket Rocket in tribute 
to Leon Haslam finally winning a major championship for the first time in 20 years. Praise be to Leon Haslam. Um, West London, stand up. Um, as, as you can say on that one, a full review of the final British Superbike Championship round at Brands Hatch, as well as a review of World Superbikes um, at Argentina as Jonathan Ray made it 10 consecutive victories. Yes, 10 Ten in a row. Um, yes, Jonathan Ray is disturbingly good. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Um, and as well as that, as well, a, a, we, we have to mention this because also we'll, we'll talk about this obviously in much greater detail on Bike Live next weekend. Actually, not, not this weekend by the time this goes out. Um, but uh, congratulations. And can we, can we get a quick round of applause here for Mark Marquez winning his seventh world title this past weekend in yes. glorious fashion in Mategi? Um, we love Marquez on this show, um, uh, especially me, but, uh, we, we love Marquez here, and, uh, King, just how terrifyingly good is this man? Like, uh, let's see, what, five world championships at, like, 25 to go with seven, yeah, to go with two in the, in what are now motos three and two, all by 25 years old. What were you doing at 25 years old? Um... I'm here right now. <laughs> um, at, at, at 25, we were in the middle of year three of Motorsport 101. I still wasn't managing a bookies yet, and most of my fun at home involved being laying down in bed with my right hand. Um, so, <laughs> n- not much. Um, not much at all. Um, to, to put it into perspective, um, most Premier Class titles at age 25... Um, the youngest ever five-time top flight champion, the youngest ever seven-time world champion across the board. Um, that was his 69th, nice, Grand Prix victory in his career as well. His 43rd in the top flight. Um, 115 podiums, 60 career fastest laps. He's a, he, he's ridiculous. He is he broken. Got a, he got a video game celebration for this shit. Man. Oh yes. Oh that like if you haven't seen it already, like go to MotoGP's Twitter page. It's about two pages down now because of the amount of celebration tweets. Because all of Spain's sporting celebrities were lining up to congratulate him. Fernando Alonso. Um, um, Sol Naguerez, who plays at Atletico Madrid. Mark Bartra, who plays for Borussia Dortmund, um, was out there. Ike Casillas, legendary Spain World Cup winning and European winning goalkeeper, former Real Madrid legend. Um, Andreas Iniesta, again, world and European champion, You know, one of the all-time great midfielders of this era. Pau Gasol, obviously multiple-time NBA champion, all lined up to say congratulations. But uh, yes, the celebration is well worth pointing out here. The fan club gave him a giant coin, and they had constructed a giant arcade machine off the beaten path of the track. He puts the coin in, he plays the easiest video game of all time, because how how, how else do you think this season has played out? (laughs) And he drops the helmet, and it says, Level 7 2018 World Champion Mark Marquez. (laughs) Like, a celebration up there with some of Valentino's finest. Um, A fantastic celebration, and like, this kid is everything MotoGP needed. Like, my God. Like, to get the bitter taste of, uh, of, uh, Valentino Rossi out of some of you guys' mouths, um, he's, he's, he's phenomenal. He is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, you know, it's crazy. Like, BT Sport inherently, like, 
basically bow at the altar of Valentino. Neil Hodgson, who was a fantastic bike rider in his own right, was doing colour commentary um, um, for BT Sport, and he said straight up, he's the best bike rider he's ever seen. And James Toesland agreed with him, and those two are very, very good riders in their (laughs) own right. You know, multiple world and British superbike championships between them right there, and they both said Marquez is the best they've ever seen. Um... To put it into perspective as well, he's only been a Grand Prix motorcycle rider for 10 years, and he has won world titles in seven of them. (laughs) Like, seven in the last nine years, if you want me to be really specific. And, uh, yeah, he he is... I've said it before, I think he's a a once-in-a-lifetime talent. They don't make dudes like this (laughs) very often. And, uh, yeah, what a freak. Congratulations, Mark Marquez, on yet another phenomenal championship year. We'll talk about it a lot more in depth um, on Bike Live this weekend, episode 84, The Magnificent Seven. Um, So keep an eye out for that in the coming days. Also, we we had to mention this as well because we're big fans of Top Gear on this show. And, uh, whew, they announced this morning... That uh, we we got a new set of Top Gears. Did you hear about this, RJ? <laughs> uh, yes, I did. Uh, no, don't worry. This Rory is not being replaced. <laughs> is he, is he um, sure about that? <laughs> oh, wait. Is that? No, no. We're not. We're not doing another Johnson run in angle. Not yet, at least. <laughs> <laughs> That's Chris Holiday's music. <laughs> but uh, no, like the news is today that uh, Rory Reed's stepping back onto extra gear, which is going to be exclusively on the, I think, the on the iPlayer, and uh, replacing them with Matt LeBlanc, who obviously announced he was leaving earlier this year already. Patrick McGuinness and Freddie Flintoff. Um, oh boy. Um, for those guys in the Discord that don't know, you guys are American and you guys that are listening that aren't from the UK, Freddie Flintoff is a legendary English cricket player. Um, basically much beloved after England won the Ashes in 2005. Um, and generally is basically known as like the lad of English cricket, if such thing exists. Um, King... I love that you, you for the first time, read about the Pedalo incident um, after 2005. And uh, what was your thoughts on that? I was absolutely horrified. <laughs> A lot of people could have died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, dear. I don't want to be in a situation where... The last thing I can remember is capsizing a boat with my teammates on it and waking up on a beach after... <laughs> <laughs> That's Freddie Flintoff you know, for you. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of funny because he's been an ambassador for William Hill, who I used to, who I, I was working for until this week. Um, he, he was a brand ambassador for them for a little while, and it's the same usual, just like, I'm Freddie Flintoff, I'm really into sports, banter, banter, banter. Because he was also on Sky Wonder League of their own as well, and he was very popular on that. Paddy McGuinness, if you're, if you're in the UK, if you're not in the UK, he hosts Take Me Out. Which is basically Tinder, but on television. Um, one guy comes out, shows off to a, a flock of thirty single women, and like basically he they, they they go by first impression, and then they go they they run about a video of the guy's life. Then they'll have one other secret skill, um, and if any people still have their lights turned on, I can pick one of them to go out on a date. Basically, like it is 
very cringy. Um, if you have any semblance of a working brain, and Paddy <laughs> McGuinness is 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 the host of that show. Very comedic. He's known for puns, lots of puns, like "Let the cat get the cream," and uh, like you know, "No likey, no lighty," which is what this is the show's main catchphrase. For okay, this is this is for all you guys not in Britain, because I know. The US is our second most listened to audience, so you probably have no idea what I'm talking about right now, so I'm trying to put some context into it. Yeah, I, I yeah. actually had to look it up. There was there was an American really? spinoff of Take Me Out that ran for one, that ran for two months oh in 2012. <laughs> I can tell you for free, that format would not work in the United States. No fucking chance. <laughs> um, yeah, as Black Omar puts in the Discord, these are puns. Yes, they really were that bad. Um, but yeah, apparently Flintoff and McGuinness are massive car nuts. Um, so much so that both, I think, at one point, each had nine points on their license. So, like, they, they've both been caught speeding in public multiple times. I mean, Paddy McGuinness grew up a huge Top Gear fan, apparently, and he's a massive petrol head, as is Flintoff. So, the way that it was, I think, put in the Guardian King is that, at least from where we're sitting, they're blatantly aiming more towards, like, the comedic side of things again, aren't they? Yeah, they're leaning towards making it more com- comedic, more "quote unquote" competitive yes. between the hosts. Um, that's, I think, the angle that uh, they're, they're trying to go. In. Like, half the hosts fall out, like we had in like in the peak of the clocks and Hammered May era, where they were at each other's throats every two minutes. I think that's clear. And you can see Chris Chris Harris is dorky enough where he can probably fit in that sort of role because he was doing that in all 117 clips he was doing with Matt during last season while Rory Reid was reviewing a Renault Twingo or some shit. Um, and for, for the record, <laughs> I am absolutely gutted that Rory Reid's been yanked off and put back on extra gear again. I know. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty like, sure we I, I think I speak for everybody here. Um, like, cause, like I've said it before, Rory Reid is like the perfect millennial host to bring Top Gear into the next generation. We loved Rory. He's funny. He's charismatic. He's modern, which is something that I think Top Gear has lacked for many, many years. Um, and we loved him on on, 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 on Motorsport 101. So, and he's, he's a big Twitter guy as well. So, Rory, if you're listening, you the man. And, uh, you know, we wish you the best. And we, we, you're better than Extra Gear, for damn sure. Um, so I'm gutted that he's he's been yanked off the front again because he started out on extra gear for the most part when the Chris Evans era started, and then he was given the main presenting gig alongside LeBlanc and Harris, and the two seasons of that have been great. And uh, yeah, that was good. I'm gonna miss that trio. Yeah, so, it, like, so as, much. As, as, as Johnson puts it, he's listening in in the Discord right now. Rory was such a breath of fresh air, and it's kind of funny because, as he mentioned, the, the, the Grand Tour's kind of proving that like the original three are kind of past the bantering format now, where it's like their jokes have been done pretty much exactly the same for the last 15 years, and it doesn't really hold up. I mean, Clarkson's 58 years old, like as, as, as we mentioned this today. And don't get me wrong, that's not like, a, it's an across-the-board problem. Like, Matt LeBlanc, who was on the show, is 51 now. He's just better looking. So I think he's kind of gotten away with it um, for a little while. But, uh, you know, I mean, Clarkson's 58, May's 55. Richard Hammond is basically a 12-year-old in a 45-year-old's body, um, basically. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, Rory was a massive breath of fresh air, and I'm kind of gutted that they're losing him as well. So, uh, yeah. 
I'm not. I'm not the big. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of McGinnis and Flintoff's style of humor. Um, so, I think it could be quite, you know, laddie. And I'm not sh- for lack of a better phrase. And I'm not sure how well that's going to hold up. But uh, I, 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 King, how do you feel about it? There will be a. There's going to be a market for it. Of I'm course, sure. absolutely, there will be because. They're, they're funny and it's like it's that sort of like white bantery humor that always goes down well in the UK um how, what are you feeling about it King yeah I'm not feeling a hundred percent on board I feel like I generally feel like a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. about it like I don't know the the new trio they kind of their take on Top Gear was different than than your old new Top Gear where they they were you know, old new Top Gear during the later seasons, they, you know, leaned heavily towards, heavily away from actually the cars towards, you know, just personal interaction, either through, you know, random challenges, races, or adventures, but it was never really about the cars. But the trio that we had with with Harris, LeBlanc, and, and Reed, they seemed to be leading back in towards the cars and I like that a lot more and yes they you know had you know you know bent sometimes but it wasn't like at anyone's expense you could clearly tell that they when they were all together they enjoyed each other's company yeah that's that's pretty much what I feel about it but hey you know we'll find out in 2019 how this all glues together um you know and as Johnson points out, it did it, it did genuinely take Clarks and Hammond and May about two or three series to really kick it together as a, as the trio we now know and well just contend with really more than anything else. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, so yeah, it, it did take them a good two or three years to really find their feet because James May stuck out like a sore thumb at first. I remember the story of after season two wrapped up, the first year with James May on there. They told Richard Hammond, like, okay, go home for Christmas, and uh, we'll call you if you want to come back. They almost <laughs> blew it up with Hammond after season two as well. So, like, basically, go home, we'll call you if we need you, basically. And uh... But, like, with, with you know, the trio we just lost, nothing was wrong, really. Like, they could have kept Reed. LeBlanc chose yep. to leave. All they needed was a new host, which is which they decided on it pretty much being Chris Harris yeah. by default. They had to snag Harris and yank him away from his Patreon money. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that one turns out. But, uh, yeah, again, we'll, we'll... I think we forgot to mention uh, Star of the Blanc Pan GT Endurance Cup, Chris Harris. Yes, yes, that yes. <laughs> Chris Harris, our lord and saviour. Uh, Going into the fourth season of Drive on NBCS. Oh, yes. But, uh, yeah, more on that soon. Looking forward to that. I mean, I'll, of course I'll watch out of curiosity, and but uh, I'm, it's going to be very interesting to see how that pans out with Harris's dorky self and then McGuinness and, and Flintoff's fumor. That's going to be uh, interesting to see how well they hold up. I mean, especially Flintoff, who's not really a TV presenter in the traditional sense. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, gentlemen, should we talk about some racing? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. After this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to talk about the United States Grand Prix. Praise be. 
Okay, fellas. I'm, I'm just reading through this script here for this segment. And um, apparently it says here, Kimi Raikkonen won a race. Who pranked the script? Um, who wrote over it all in red ink? Um, RJ, I'm looking at you here. Um, uh, well, me? No, no. No, could it be King? King, do you know nah. anything about this? King. Now, nah, I, I had this whole thing planned saying that, you know, congratulations to the 2019 Formula One World Drivers Champion, Lewis Hamilton, but. You Ooh, know. damn, we're cutting ahead on the script already. <laughs> yeah, like, Getting five and six in the same week. Like, like, who crossed through that line in giant red pen? Because it says here that, like, Hamilton still needs another five points. Um, like. Wait, wait, I've just Wikipedia this. Raikkonen actually did win the damn race. Holy shit. Um, yeah, I checked out after fifth lap. I thought it was yeah, over. you and me both. I was like, fuck it, I'm going back to work. Because um, <laughs> I was at work when this race was going on. Um, well, let's break down how we got to this crazy point. Because at this point, the podcast would normally stop and it would say, Hi, this is me. You're probably wondering how I got in this situation. Um, so let's break it down. United States Grand Prix. Now, going into this round, Lewis Hamilton had to outscore Sebastian Vettel by eight to win the championship on home soil, in inverted commas. <laughs> oh, um, also, shout out. To- we have several honorary <laughs> Americans in this race. Let's be perfectly clear. Yes, several. And shout out to Lewis for being on the Daily Show before the weekend of the race as well. That was nice to see him on there with Trevor Noah and... Uh, Another important point to mention, just how, you know, transcendent Lewis Hamilton is. An F1 guy is on the fucking Daily Show. Um, well, because Trevor knows a big Lewis shut Hamilton Shut up, fan. shut up. I'm tr- don't pour cold water on this king. He's a brother. No, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome that he gave him that platform. That's like the, that's probably the most I've cared about the Daily Show in quite a long time. You, you, I mean, I mean yeah. it, it's, it's, it's nice to see Trevor Noah hop off that fence every once in a while. Um... <laughs> but uh, it's like it's not that the Daily Show is bad or anything. It's just like I just don't care. It's just, it's just sort of there, like all the other like evening shows now. But uh, yeah, let's see Lewis Hamilton on there, and again, nice to see him mention as well, like just how friggin' stuffy and white an F1 paddock tends to be, um, which was which was said on national TV. It was like being at a horse racing meeting, which I thought was quite a funny analogy and completely accurate. Trust me. Um, so, he ain't wrong. Yeah, he, he, he was wrong. not wrong at all. So, yeah, we get to qualifying on the Saturday, and there's already a twist going in, because uh, once again, the Church of Dre has to step in for an intervention and say, Sebastian, what are you doing, man? <laughs> like, Put your yes on the <laughs> table for a three-place grid penalty for failing to slow sufficiently during a red flag period in free practice one. Spoiler, Friday practices. A lot of rain, not a lot of running. So much yeah, rain. yeah. All day rain. one was effectively a write-off due to the wet conditions, and a lot of complaints about why there was no running. And then all the teams were like, "Well, well, <laughs> the yeah." The word on the street was because there was also rain scheduled for qualifying, and you don't want to use up all your wet tires in practice. For those guys that don't play the F one twi- the F one games on on games consoles, you only get three sets of intermediate and wet tires for the entire weekend. You don't want to burn through those at a rate of knots. Mm. So teams didn't run because you didn't want to burn through all those sets by Saturday, especially when you're going to need them for qualifying. Um, so yeah. Because we live in the real, we live in the real world. You can't bring unlimited tires to a race. You mean this isn't like time trial mode? Damn it! Um, but yeah, <laughs> Sebastian Vettel um, was given a free place grid penalty for. Uh, <coughs> pardon me, sorry, um, bit of a sneeze there. Um, for uh, ignoring a red flag in FP1, like 
it's funny because the, the, there was quite a bit of internet rage over this one, which I was sitting back going, where were you motherfuckers last week when Esteban Ocon got the exact same penalty in Japan? Um, but uh, mostly because I think it was that Gianluca guy, like the biggest Ferrari stan on Twitter, actually found a way to put video footage of Vettel's onboard incident that caused the uh, red flag rule break on Twitter. And... There was nothing going on around him. And I'm like, guys, that's not the point. Um, yeah, the rule is like, the rule. Just because there's no one on track doesn't mean... Um, like, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that a rule wasn't broken. Um, I, okay, I get it. Um, common sense should prevail, but unfortunately the rule is there for a reason. Um, and... Yeah, just yeah. because just because you're, there's no cops around when you're doing 130 miles an hour in an 80 mile an hour zone doesn't mean you weren't recklessly speeding. It's just nobody was there to call yeah. it because it, it's it, we're not too you know that long separated from a time where we were running into issues where drivers weren't slowing for double yellows. If if there's a red flag, it's a red flag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, I feel like a lot of this was also the fact that, like, oh, geez, now this puts Vettel in an even worse position. Like, I see, I think that's the, that's, like, the key sticking point. It's like, I don't think anybody would have given a shit if this was, like, early in the Not. season. Uh, but, no, with a pivotal race where Vettel is basically in a must, um, must-perform sort of scenario, they didn't want this to have happen. Exactly. No. So it, it was just, yeah, it was yet another compound on the, oh, Vettel's completely crumbled this season narrative. More on that on last week's episode. Actually, the week before's episode, the last time I was on it. My lungs are still recovering. But, um, yeah, we, it, it, that was, we, we came down to Q3 in the end on Saturday morning. No rain, amazingly. The weather did actually hold up for Saturday. Um, we, we got some dry running for the first time in. And in Q3, we got a very dramatic ending as... Uh, just like old times, guys, Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel go to war in qualifying. Um, and Lewis Hamilton came out on top by just six hundredths of a second over Vettel in second. And it's amazing because, you know, shout out to the F1 social media guys on YouTube for this one. They do their brilliant head-to-head qualifying lap comparisons where you can see in real time the difference between their laps. And... Uh, Oh boy, Sebastian lost a tenth and a half on the final corner because Hamilton blatantly breaks like five meters later. It's infuriating. <laughs> Vettel was not happy no. either by missing out on pole position, which he wouldn't have even been allowed to start from by six one hundredths of a second. Yeah, indeed. He, he like basically he said to Mauricio how far out was he. He was told. Point zero six, and he was like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" Basically, was his words on the radio twice. Um, he was just as infuriated as, as, as Ferrari was that he just missed out by basically a foot um, um, over the line over Lewis Hamilton, and that was significant because, hey, if if Vettel qualifies on pole, he only starts four, and he starts on row two as opposed to row three. That 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 was significant, and it was we'll get to on lap one. Um, and also, remember, key note here, Kimi Raikkonen was the only lead runner to start on the Ultrasoft tyre through Q2. Everybody, all, all the other top contenders were on the Supersoft, apart from Max Verstappen. Again, remember that one, that also becomes important later. But, uh, race day. Race day itself. And, uh, lap one, one of the most chaotic field lap ones of the season so far. Um... 
Con- yeah. <laughs> in a race that had no Stetson hats, it had no introductions from Michael Buffer, very which sad. I was very, very upset sad. about. Uh, I was gutted about that. Bring back Buffer. I'll settle for Bruce at this point. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yes, we had we had to get away. Um, Raikkonen, Raikkonen comes down the inside. Now this is the key part. The Ultrasofts. They did say on the grid because Channel Four did their grid walk with uh, Mark Webber and, and David Coulthard, and I do distinctly remember them saying they interviewed someone from Pirelli, and they said, "Look, the Ultrasofts will probably give you about five feet off the line in terms of extra grip," um, which Raikkonen put to good use. Because the thing is, is the coat of grid is weird because pole position starts on the right hand side where the racing line is for Turn One. But if you get yeah. a better start from P2, you probably want to start in P2 because, you know, you can you can use your car as a blocker going into the Turn 1 Apex. And that's exactly what Kimi Raikkonen did yeah. to take the lead off the opening corner and get the yeah. whole shot. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing in theory. But the but the thing is also about Coda is that the uh, that the inside line, the uh, the the outside rows, that's considered the place where you traditionally, especially when the track first opened, you did not want to start on that outside row because there was just no mm-hmm. grip at all. Yeah, it's, it, and Coda as a general as a track is very dusty. I mean, if you ever see any of the onboards for this weekend, like the back straight riddled with dust. Um, like it is dusty and dirty everywhere, and, yeah! and we got we got carnage going into turn into into, into basically turn three in the complex there, based on maggots and beckets. Is a uh, Lance Stroll tries an opportunistic move on Fernando Alonso by coming across the uh, turn three apex, uh, clatters into Alonso's side pod. Alonso's out of the race. Lance Stroll's car is crippled, and he is also given a drive-through penalty for his trouble. Um, can, can, is, 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 uh, apparently, Derek Warwick was in the stewards' box for this one. Our favourite steward. Um, <laughs> everyone loves him. He's very popular. Um, yeah, um, guys, um, is it just me that thought that drive-through was a little harsh? Um, a little bit. I mean, it wasn't really going to do anything with honorary American Lance Stroll's race, and you know, honorary American Fernando Alonso. You know, he's he's already out. It it wasn't a good day for either of these two honorary Americans. Nor was it a good day for honorary American Romain Grosjean, who also retired with collision damage after he after he backed right into Charles Leclerc, who soon retired with collision damage on lap 31. Sigh. Not a good day for the Williams. That's again, not a good day for old Nando, unfortunately. Um, but hey, ni- nice cap. Nice signature cap. Good, good, good to see. Praise be to Alonso's cap. Because Hamilton's cap game needs more flat brims. Bring them back. Um, I've said this time and time again. He had a, he had a nice uh, beige number this weekend that uh, was curved. Oh yes. Sigh. That, that, that's your cap report for this for this week's podcast. Further on in, into into turn one, turn twelve, there was a bit of carnage around there. In fact, we just we just got the onboard recently on the Formula One Twitter account of Brendan Hartley's onboard, where he makes a double overtake on the opening lap on uh, Stoffel and his teammate Pierre Gasly, and uh, yeah, that was carnage back there. But the big one, well. Going into turn 12, Sebastian is lining up Daniel Ricciardo for a pass. I think the battery boost was back with a vengeance this weekend. Um, He's already passed Ricciardo halfway down the back straight. Ricciardo tries to come back at him. Um, Vettel basically has a bit of a weave on the brig. He overcooks the braking slightly into turn 12. He lets Ricciardo come back around the outside, side by side into 13. 
Vettel goes into 13 too hot. Ricardo's given him plenty of room, but Vettel still understeers into the side of Ricardo's car. They bang wheels. The Ferrari goes around like a topsy-turvy uh, spinning top for the second time in two rounds. And, well, Vettel drops to 14th place, and any chance of him winning the race quickly came to an end. So... Here we go again, folks. No, um, and, and this is the part where everyone looks at me and it's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to rant this time. Like, I'm not going to rant and rave. I did that two weeks ago. What I'm going to say is, is that Sebastian's race one racecraft has, lap one racecraft has been, shall we say, suspect for quite some time. And we mentioned this after France where basically he that was like the fifth time in like 15 rounds that he'd damaged the front wing or lost the front wing in a lap one incident now not all of those were his fault to be mm. fair um like there was some 50 50s in there like with Verstappen you never quite know what you're gonna get there because well you know Verstappen yeah. but um this was another one and I mean, to be fair to Daniel, who commented about it after the race, Channel Four, he said it was just a racing incident. It was like he he said, you know, you know, I don't think Vettel was trying anything suspect. I think he just overcooked it and made a mistake, and he happened to be there, and uh, it didn't really hurt Ricardo very much. Again, Vettel was the real victim here. Um, Ricardo was able to hold on to his fourth place, and uh, Sebastian didn't, um, so to speak. But uh, I mean. King, was this just another one of those Hail Marys that just didn't work out again here? Uh, I wouldn't put it that way. I, like, he, he was running by himself. Yeah, I just... Uh. And was it, it wouldn't be so long ago that we were hailing, like, Vettel as the mastermind of lap one racecraft. I think, I think there was just, uh, this one was just a racing incident. And you could try to trace it back to a pattern of a lot of desperation moves um, that have happened this year, you know, because Hamilton, because Vettel is under immense pressure to catch a guy who is clearly pulling away while his car is staying stagnant or worse, even getting slower as the season has gone on. Yeah, I mean, good question from Johnson in the Discord who says, has it become like a Grosjean 2012 thing? It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, I mentioned this on Curious... Like, somebody asked me about this on on Curious Cat, and it was like, what's been the difference between Hamilton and Vettel this year? And I think I mentioned it about three or four weeks ago when I said, Lewis Hamilton is in the best team in Formula 1. Mercedes has never been... like There's never really not been the best car outside of maybe a handful of rounds in the last five years. Half a dozen, maybe, tops. Yeah. Like, um... And Lewis Hamilton, without doubt, is the best driver of this era. You know, probably a top three driver to ever walk this earth, by all accounts. And Hamilton doesn't make mistakes. I've mentioned this before. He doesn't, like, he, his racecraft is, he, he's actually dialed it down compared to his earlier years where he was probably a fair bit more aggressive. But he knows when and where to make the moves that count. And he often maximizes not ideal situations like this race was, which we'll get to in a minute. Like, the way the the Mercedes is calibrated and the way Lewis Hamilton drives, you have to be perfect to beat him. And anything less than that, you open the door for, 
for you. We opened the door for Hamilton to punish you. And that has basically, I think, been the story of the last five or six rounds. As as Johnson pointed out again in the Discord, like like with each incident, it just keeps compounding itself, even if it's not always his fault. I mean, not every blunder since the summer break has been on SEP. Let's make this absolutely clear. Right. You know, th- there's been... Ferrari strategic screw ups in this littered throughout the season, so mm. much so that we thought they, we thought they'd screwed the pooch again on Raikkonen <laughs> during this race, oh, which again we'll get to. But yeah. um, a lot of that has been circumstance. I mean, we mentioned Singapore. We mentioned the horrible strategic decisions they made in Singapore to put Vettel out and an undercut and put him on an ultra soft, and then forget about Sergio Perez and the undercut. Um, <clears throat> it's not been the first time Ferrari screwed the pooch. They put they put Vettel under blue flags and didn't box him. Cost him several seconds. Cost him any chance of being able to chase Hamilton for the win on the faster compound. Um, there's been numerous goofs in there that Ferrari have made that have not made the situation any better. But of course, Seb's probably going to have to take his fair share of criticism for what's happened. What I didn't like to see was after the Grand Prix where, like... Eddie Jordan and Mark Webber were making some really deep dives about Seb's quote-unquote collapse to the point where they were talking about Seb's mental state, which I always think is a minefield you probably shouldn't be getting yourself into. I mean, accusing someone of having mental health problems as a reason for their poor performance, it's a can of worms you probably don't want to open. Um... You know, especially... I mean, Eddie Jordan went down the whole narrative drum of, well, Raikkonen won the race and his teammate won it and we all know Vettel's faster than Raikkonen so Vettel's going to be gutted. You know, it's, it's quite obvious stuff. Mark Webber was playing amateur psychologist. Um, yeah, because... Talk- in, like, in my experience, like, if you're doing that in the moment, you're pretty much pulling up soap opera storylines. The only time that, like, that's a legitimate line to take is if you're looking back years down the line, you've interviewed all the parties involved, and they tell you how they felt in that moment. Yeah, like, if you're a professional pundit being paid to analyze a sport, you probably shouldn't be guessing. Um, would, you know, would, would, would probably be my way of looking at it. I mean, he mentioned the fact that Seb's wife Hannah was at the Grand Prix this weekend and that's clearly got a factor in this that's not normal so hence you know that that must be something he's like he's like he's putting two and two together and coming up with 22 it's it's it it was very much deep diving in the psychological games because you know people love to talk about mind games in in motorsport and in sport in general that mind games we were just over this with Hamilton and Rosberg and it, it's, it's 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 coming up again. Like 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 Vettel's going through a rough patch. It's like, well, it must be the mental health side of it. It must be the mind games. And 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 as 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 RJ mentioned, Nico Rosberg hat was criticised for quote unquote not having a world champion mindset after he lost a, a start line battle at Japan in 2015. I remember they had David Brabham on the F1 report that three days later saying that. Rosberg doesn't have a world champion mindset, whatever the fuck that actually means. Um, but I think it's a dangerous game to be doing this. We like if you're not a psychologist and you don't know any better, stop guessing drivers' mental health status. Like this is a like there is an element of truth in what Mark said about Ferrari and the Italian media and the pressure that they do put um, they do put on their drivers because. This came up in 2016, two years ago, when Ferrari went winless that season 
and there was question marks about whether Vettel could lead the team. Of course, then 2017 happens. Um, like, mental health is a very complicated thing, and we probably shouldn't be guessing things like that. That's all I'm saying. And I, I and for a driver that's been in the sport for many, many years, like Weber, who was in the sport for you know over 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 a decade, I think nearly 15 seasons he had in F1. As a guy that's been there and has been on the losing end of a Sebastian Vettel dogfight, he should probably know a little bit better. That's just... You yeah, know. He, he's lost a handful of world championships on his own. Yeah. yeah. Can anyone say Korea 2010? Anyway, um, but, you know, that's just the nature of Seb for you. I mean, yeah, racing incident, again, probably leaning a bit towards Sebastian like Suzuka was. And, of um. But, uh, I mean, a good question for Major before we move on real quick. Is Vettel going through what Hamilton went through in 2011 or 12, where he was a little bit more erratic and overdrivey, or is this different cases than that? I think, in for me, I don't know what you guys, you guys can chip in on this one, in my opinion. The real Hamilton-like eyebrow-raising year was 2011. Um, 2012, he was probably he probably would have been a title contender if it wasn't for the wretched luck he had towards the end of that year. Yeah, some um, people had worked out that with the uh, the points he would have lost out of out of mechanical failures for reliability, he probably takes the title off of Vettel. Probably, he, he lost 75 points from race leading positions at the end of the year. From the he was leading in Singapore when his hydraulics yeah. failed, he was leading in Abu Dhabi when his engine failed, and he was leading in Brazil when Hulkenberg took him out. Um, so. There was a lot of points left on the table, but 2011 was the real dodgy year for Hamilton. I think he had the first breakup from Nicole that year that had gone public. His, he had got into a bit of a blood feud with Felipe Massa going back to Monaco. He made the insensitive joke about you know race coming into why he, he felt like he was getting all the penalties and... I remember he had the big clash in India as well. They almost got into a fight in Singapore when when Massa tapped him on the back and said, you know, that's how you drive like a world champion, etc. Oh yeah. And he got crashed into by his teammate who went on to win one of the uh one of the most memorable races of this decade. Yeah, that didn't help either. Um yeah, Hamilton the Hamilton DNF's button goes on to have the biggest miracle win in modern F one. Um, but yeah, it it was a bad year. But the thing is, Hamilton wasn't competing for a championship that year. Not really, because that was the year that the Re- that Red Bull had the best car right out of the box. Um, and Vettel was arguably that was his best season in F one. He I think he won eleven times that year. Um, you know, ignoring the nine race streak of twenty thirteen, which was more down to everybody else giving up by by the summer break. But um. I don't think I don't think the pressure was quite so high because I don't think Hamilton was perceived as a true contender in 2011. No, yeah, um, he wasn't. And this year, I've said it before. This is the box office feud that I think people have wanted to see in F1 for quite some time. Hamilton versus Vettel, the two best drivers of this era in two different cars with the two biggest brands in F1, Mercedes and Ferrari. This is this is the box office feud. So of course it's going to be ratcheted up. Ferrari put enough pressure on their guys as it is. Lewis Hamilton is the biggest star F1's had in the modern in the modern era. It's it's the perfect storm of shenanigans and that's probably the biggest reason why is more than Hamilton was in 2011. Speaking of which, getting back to the lead battle of the race. Now, there was a virtual safety car in the early period of the race. Now, 
the, the key call here was, like, Raikkonen was leading, obviously, by about a second or so. His Ultrasofts were fading. But, uh, uh, Bonham, uh, Bono, as they call him, uh, told Hamilton over the radio, box opposite to Raikkonen, which means whatever Raikkonen does, you do the opposite. As they were coming past the pit lane. Raikkonen, which I thought was hilarious, froze the dummy. Looked like he was going to go into the pits. Changes his mind. Doesn't do it. Hamilton yeah. goes in. He comes off his super softs. Puts a puts on a pair of soft tyres. And you're thinking, okay, Hamilton's going to the end. Um, I think it was about 43 laps or so he had to go on the soft tyre to make this work. Yeah, it was a long damn time. And, mm. you know, the... Uh, the, the the call uh, from the from the Monday morning race strategist was, oh boy, well, here we go again. Ferrari didn't take the chance to pit under virtual safety car. That's it. It's over. Yeah. Turn because, out the lights. Party's done. Yeah, because uh, Hamilton only lost about 12 seconds by pitting under VSC. Very similar story to what happened in Australia. Um, basically, uh, Hamilton pits under VSC, doesn't lose as much time as he would at full racing speed. Uh, and after the immediately after the stop, Raikkonen's ultrasofts are fading, and Hamilton is is taking tire man of Raikkonen hand over fist. Um, so much so that uh, Hamilton uh, passes Raikkonen later on in the towards, towards half distance. Raikkonen tries to hold them up as best he can, um, holds them off for about a lap. Eventually, lets Hamilton through. Immediately stops for a pair of soft tires afterwards. So, um, so basically, Ferrari's pace was good enough. Where they had to bully Hamilton into running a two-stopper because that's it was becoming clear that given the high temperatures, Hamilton's softs were not going to make the end, um, not feasibly anyway. He had a big rear blister on the right rear by around oh, lap thirty, um, so it was becoming clear that that Hamilton did not have the legs to make a soft tire go forty-three laps or so. And again, it was the other way around. This time, Raikkonen was taking time out of Hamilton, and it had gotten to the point where I think this is where the race was lost. I think they put Hamilton out there about five laps too long, and by the time that had happened, Verstappen had come out ahead of him. But Verstappen, who, by the way, after uh, driving over a sausage curb in qualifying and eliminated himself, had to start from 18th on the grid after replacing his gearbox. Oh, you forgot to mention why that sausage curb was there on the inside of that apex at Hayden Hill. <laughs> oh, yes, because they were they were trying to prevent what happened last year when Verstappen cut the corner to pass Raikkonen for third. Remember that one from last year? And the one that Verstappen yeah, got a time everybody penalty? was just decided to, to, to track limits shouldn't be a thing. Drivers should be allowed to cut the corner as much as they want to. And then Max Verstappen drives over his own curb and uh, breaks the gearbox and has to start back in 18th. Fun times, as, as Coach's Twitter called it, the Verstopper. Worked to full effect. <laughs> the Verstopper. And, and it worked to full effect. So Verstappen has clawed his way through the field and at this point is now running a net second. Um, <laughs> yes, Verstappen, who started 18th on the grid, is now P2. Um, so... Yeah, Hamilton has to stop again. Again, because they've probably ran him too long, he's now come out third, uh, you know, several seconds behind Bottas, Verstappen, and Raikkonen, who was going to win the race. Um, so, obviously, Bottas gets out of the way because, you know, wingman duties. Sorry, King. Um, <laughs> uh, and whatnot. And, yeah, we had quite a tense finale at the end because... 
Obviously, Raikkonen was holding on. He had stopped first out of all his riders. Verstappen was running the inverse strategy. He got off the soft tyre quite quickly and was running the super soft for the majority of the race. And Hamilton, who was the fastest man on track on the newest set of softs, can you say dirty air, anybody? <laughs> yeah, one of those cases where dirty air actually helped keep this close. Granted, nobody could pass, but they were all staying within that same window of uh, of distance here. In indeed, I mean Hamilton did get a bit hairy towards the end. I mean, given I mean, there was four laps to go, and the way the maths had played out, Vettel had clawed his way back up into fifth by now. The, the the way the points worked out, if Hamilton had all Hamilton had to do was pass Verstappen for second, and he'd be world champion tonight. Um, yeah. And he tried it, and they, they were going side by side at one point through sector three. Came up to the very fast yeah. turn seventeen, and Hamilton basically ran out of grip on the outside of the corner. Had to run it yeah. wide, and that was it. <laughs> he got forced out of the marbles trying to make the pass around the outside. You watch the marbles at Hayden Hill. You're going to lose grip if you try and take that line to the outside. And in fairness, this is actually one of the times where we'll say, Matt Verstappen's defensive racecraft, actually, genuinely clever and good. Inch perfect. Inch perfect. He parked his car exactly where he needed to be. This was one of the all-time great Verstappen performances so far in F1 for me, because Verstappen would hold on to finish in second from 18th on the grid. And hell, only about a, 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 a pair of seconds off winning from 18th on the grid. Shout out to Max for a brilliant performance, and shout out to Horner on the bench for excellent strategic responses. Worked out perfectly for him in the end. Um, that was about as good as they could have gotten on the table for that day, given that they were uncompetitive in qualifying. So... Brilliant job from Verstappen. A nice reminder as to why there is so much hype behind this kid. Because when his head's screwed on, he does things like this. Um, brilliant drive from him. Um, but yeah, Kimi Raikkonen. We've, we've talked. We've held it off long enough. Kimi Raikkonen wins for the first time in 2,044 days. You'd have to go back to Australia 2013, the season opener for his last victory. Um, that is a new F1 record, 113 races between victories. Beats the Ricardo Patrese's record of 94. Um, crazy stuff. Also, now Raikkonen becomes the all-time winningest Finn with his 21st F1 victory, which, which, was, which was nice. And uh, The oldest winner since Nigel Mansell at Adelaide in 1994. Wow. Um, he has now won in three different powertrain eras, V10s, V8s, and now the Turbo V6s. Only man ever to do that. Um, yeah, um, the only person to do that in this era. By the way, we now have seven different winners in the entirety of the V6s era. So, to put that in perspective, we had seven different winners... In the first seven races of 2012. We've come such a long way, folks. We really have. Six different teams won a Grand Prix that season. Jeez. Um, and it very nearly was seven, because Sergio Perez almost stole a couple of for Sauber as well that year. Um, but, uh, yeah, some, some some fun numbers. And you know what I loved about this? It was like Raikkonen post-race when he was being interviewed in, in, in Park Ferme, where... They said, Kimmy, how's it like to taste the champagne on the top? And he goes, oh, it's the same as finishing second or third. So, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's Kimmy for you. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, King, the way he's driven this year, I mean, obviously he's not quite on Seb's level this season, but 
I think this one's been coming for a little while now. Yeah, it's kind of been like pushing up against it. Like, how do you describe it? It's, it's, it seems inevitable. Inevitable. You don't want to say anything is ever inevitable, but it, this does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's had like three or four good chances to win a Grand Prix in the last couple of years. I, I can think of Monaco last season where he was unlucky not to win that one. It took a bit of spectacular driving from Seb to win that one on the day. Hungary that same season with, the, with when Vettel has the broken steering rack, but you know, Hungary nightmare. And to no pass drinks, around. and no drinks bottle either. That was this year, but uh, yeah, again, like Raikkonen's had chances. Obviously, Monza being the big one this year that uh, Bottas to blocker used to supreme effect um, on, on that one. Um, but yeah, Raikkonen has had chances, and, and I think he's driven very well this season. I think he's he's been, I think the the number two piece that Ferrari's always kind of wanted, which is ironic given they're now moving him on for Charles Leclerc um, for good reason because Leclerc is spectacular. I mean, no, no one's denying that at this point. I mean, make, making Q three yet again and qualifying on row four, the kid's a bit special. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Raikkonen has driven very well. He's had like a you know, a, over almost a dozen podiums for the year this year. He's just driven consistently well across the board. Maybe not spectacular enough to to win Grand Prix on a regular basis anymore compared to his teammate. But uh, you know, I, I, if this is the final victory for Raikkonen before he moves on to Sauber, there's no shame in, in picking up 21 and you know being Finland's all-time leader in wins. It's a it's a pretty nice touch given their F1 history. So, uh, yeah, this is the end, and a nice way for Kimi to bow out from Ferrari, so to speak, um, with a, a, a very well-driven, well-deserved victory, especially given that, as RJ alluded to, we all thought at one point that uh, <laughs> that Ferrari had screwed the pooch again on strategy, which, the way the season's played out, wouldn't be that surprising, really. But um... Yeah, and, um, you know, this... Um... This is the best Kimmy's driven since uh, since he came back to F one. Mm, absolutely, in my honest opinion, um, he's been brilliant. He probably, arguably, should have more wins at this point. And now you just have to wonder. Okay, yes, Kimmy Raikkonen is going to a situation where he can be the number one, but it's going to be different where you're where you're trading P six as a victory instead of P one as a victory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. With that, and obviously Hamilton finishing third behind Verstappen, and Vettel actually pulling off a brilliant um, penultimate lap pass on Valtteri Bottas for fourth. Um, Yeah, Seb, that's what you can do when your head's screwed on. Focus on that. Um, um, But uh, with that, the title fight limps on to Mexico. For those who have yet to get the calculators out, Hamilton needs just five points. Uh, to wrap it up, which is seventh or better in Mexico, that is enough for Hamilton to win world title number yeah. five. And Vettel has to win every race from here on out. Yes, to have any chance yeah. whatsoever, Vettel has to run the table for the rest of the year. Why can't we bring back Malaysia? Damn it! Um, that would have been useful right about now. Um, but uh, 
We have we we had a we have a lot of of, of post race drama to take care of as well um, on this one. Um, started off with yeah. we, we we only glossed over it a little bit, but Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, Jesus Christ, um, <sighs> a miserable season gets even worse for Danny. Um, his lo- loss of power in 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 the engine yet again. If those keeping score at home, it is Daniel Ricciardo's seventh DNF of 2018 um how unlucky can one man get like this is getting ridiculous now i mean jesus another time and apparently according to reports he punched a hole in his wall when he got back to the garage just out of sheer frustration um can you blame him we we all saw how how viral his uh it's his 10th mechanical retirement in the last calendar year starting with an engine failure at this race in 2017 same in 2017 in mexico hydraulics in abu dhabi 2017 bahrain electronics baku collision austria exhaust germany power loss put him out belgium not at fault collision italy clutch broke uh and today the car just broke down yeah, it turns out it a was great a great yeah. injustice. Yeah, a great injustice to him and to Red Bull's sensational cowboy outfit oh, they race suits that they wore with the faux uh, tan uh, cowboy boots aboard. With that alone, they should have won this race in a one-two and lapped the whole field. In- but it indeed. just wasn't to be. And sadly, Daniel Ricciardo's battery had other ideas on lap eight. Like I said, seventh DNF of, of the season, tenth of the last calendar year. Um, and I think he's now something in the region of like 45 points behind his teammate, who, as we mentioned, has had a bit of a scruffy start to the year, to say the least. But yeah, he's now 45 points behind his own teammate. Um, a miserable season um, for Daniel Ricciardo continues. And just when we thought the result was final after the race, drama! Not one, but two disqualifications. Um, Kevin Magnussen of the Haas of the Haas Ferrari team and Esteban Ocon of uh, Racing Point Force India both disqualified from the final outcome, both due to running over the 105 kilo fuel flow limit. Um, uh, no, Esteban Ocon was disqualified for uh, violating fuel flow on the last lap using. Uh, having a fuel flow rate higher than the maximum. Uh, Kevin Magnuson used more than the total amount of fuel used. Uh, he used more than the, the the allowed limit of fuel during the whole race distance. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, thanks, thanks for clearing oh, that Oh, yeah. So, there's, so there is a key difference either way that takes P7 off, that takes P8 off the table for Esteban and P9 for Magnuson off the table. Yeah, Magnuson talked about this on Twitter after the race. He was 100 grams over the total limit. Rules are rules. Um, sayonara K-Mag from the race results on that one. And Romain Grosjean was given a uh, a post-race three-place grid penalty for his collision with Charles Leclerc on the opening lap. And a penalty point. And a penalty point. And one penalty point. Yes, which meant that uh, he's now two points away unless some of these points start dropping away from a race ban. Yeah, he's on ten now uh, for the season. He's in dangerous ground on that one now. Um, so he's up to 10 points now. Everyone was thinking if he gets free for it, um, he, he'd be banned for a race because 12 is the limit on that one for a calendar year. 
turns out they were generous and only gave him the one on this occasion and only a, a minor free place grid penalty um, after the race on that one. So, factoring all of that in, here is the final outcome of the result. Um, Kimi Raikkonen, as mentioned, winning his first race in over five and a half years um, um, for, um, at Cota. Um, Max Verstappen second, just 1.2 seconds behind. Lewis Hamilton third. Um, Sebastian Vettel would claw his way back up to fourth. Just 18 seconds off the win in the end after the lap one spin. Makes you wonder what would have happened if it wasn't for that opening lap. God damn it, Sebastian! Um, anyway, uh, Valtteri um, behind on lap five. Um, no blocking for you today. And, and winning the Formula 1.5 race, Nico Hulkenberg back on form, everybody, in sixth place. Good result for Renault to finish sixth and seventh. Only a minute behind Valtteri's car. Sigh. So, yeah, Hulkenberg, P6. Carlos Sainz, P7. Sergio Perez in eighth. A career-high finish for Brendan Hartley, ladies and gentlemen, in ninth place. Yeah. Yay. On the anniversary of his F1 debut from going from 20th to 9th. And it's still probably not going to be enough for him to keep his drive where he's probably not getting any support anyway. Yeah, turns out Brendan Hartley said during Friday and the press conference interviews that uh, he hadn't gotten any support from the team since Bahrain. Sigh. And Marcus Ericsson is 10th! Ericsson gets a point for the Sauber boys. Good drive from Marcus there. Stoffel van Dorn. Can somebody please give Stoffel some luck? For God's sake. An 11th for McLaren after the DNA. Hmm, we'll talk about that Indeed. later. Pierre Gasly in 12th. Sergei Sorokin 13th. Lance Stroll 14th after the uh, drive-through penalty he suffered on the first lap in the collision with Orlando Alonso. As I mentioned, four other um, retirements. Charles Leclerc from the collision damage he suffered with Grosjean on the opening lap. Daniel Ricciardo's battery failed on lap 8. Grosjean, again, the collision, as mentioned, he he didn't make it past lap 2. And Fernando Alonso, as mentioned, in the in the collision with uh, Lance Stroll on the opening lap. As mentioned, Esteban Ocon and Kevin Magnussen, both disqualified for fuel flow irregularities. Alonso just can't drive with these amateurs. As opposed to the other amateurs, <laughs> the actual amateurs in the FIA World Endurance Championship. In, indeed. Fun times for all involved. Championship standings going into Mexico this weekend. Lewis Hamilton plus 70 on Sebastian Vettel. Again, only needs five points to claim the title in Mexico. 346 to Vettel's 276. Raikkonen up to, uh, back into third place now on 221. Big battle here with his fellow Finn, Valtteri Bottas, who's still in fourth now on 217. Verstappen is closing in a little bit as well in his own right. He's on 191 in fifth, ahead of Daniel Ricciardo in sixth. In the Formula 1.5 battle, Nico Hulkenberg has now pulled out a four-point lead on Sergio Perez on 61. As mentioned, Perez on 57. K-Mag's DQ uh, means only one point score in the last five rounds for K-Mag. Now on 53. Um, Fernando Alonso, again, just can't catch a break. Again, same. Only one point score in the last six for Fernando Alonso um, on 50 points. Um, Esteban Ocon on 49, who again was was running eighth before the disqualification and Carlos signs on 45 in the midfield battle there in 12th overall constructor standings Mercedes well 
it's in control for them now. They're not quite in a championship point status just yet, but they now have a 66-point lead against Ferrari, 563 to Ferrari's 497. Red Bull on 337 in third. Renault has now distanced themselves quite nicely from that's a big, big weekend for Renault in the battle for fourth. They're now on 106 points compared to Haas's 84 Again, Haas have only had one car in the points in their last two weekends. Um, they're actually leaving the door open for Force India a little bit, but uh, I think they're going to run out of rounds before they can really get up there. Um, McLaren, still stuck on 58 and not scored for three weekends. Uh, sad times there. You wouldn't even be able to tell by their placement in the Constructors' Championship that they are just trash this second half yeah, of the like season. Yeah, like the vast majority of McLaren's points came in the first five races. They've, they've Now they can yeah, fight. now they could fight. Like, okay, I'm just doing <laughs> the maths in my head real quick. Uh, 4, 8, 12, 18. Yeah, they've scored 18 points since the French Grand Prix. It's like... They, Actually, since actually Ooh. since Spain, they've scored fourteen points, and that was round five. So it's Ooh. ugly. They scored forty-four points in the first five rounds, fourteen from round six at Monaco onwards, and all of their points have come from Fernando. Nothing from Stoffel. Um, it's a worrying state of affairs in that team at the moment. Force India. Still trying to claw McLaren in. It's a bit of a fight there. The, the, the gap's down to 11 points between them now. Force India on 47. Um, Toro Rosso on 32. Sauber is slowly reeling them in. They're at 28. I wonder if, like again, they've, they've put a point back in play due to Brendan Hartley's ninth. But uh, then they're in their own fight for eighth place and several million pounds of constructors' prize money. And Williams still stuck at the bottom with seven. Next round, this weekend, the Mexican Grand Prix. And uh, we're all excited here. We're all excited. Yeah. Mm. Come on, Sebastian. (laughs) Be bold. (laughs) Be bold. Dive bomb the shit out of Hamilton at turn one. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Um, so that will do it for the... I mean, this was a pretty good American Grand Prix, I would say. I mean, I mean, I don't... I, I can't find much to complain about on this one. Um, we, had a, we had a tense finish. Strategy was at the forefront. And uh, it led to a couple of twists. So, you know, yeah, fun, 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 yeah. a fun American race. A fun American race. Yeah, solid race. Yeah. Um, before I give this a solid review, you know... Times have been times have been very weird lately, and you know, for for a lot of us Americans, it's sometimes very, you know, feel a lot of sense of pride, and uh, from where you're from, especially on the morning of the race where the Trump administration is trying to wheel out its most uh, drastic and wide sweeping rollback of rights and protections of transgender people under federal civil rights law. Um, there's a lot of many other things, you know, at least we're at the very least, um, passive, uh, at the very, at the very most and worst, we're approving of, of Saudi Arabia potentially, uh, arranging to kill a, uh, a journalist who had, uh, information, uh, had very confidential information about the, uh, the Saudi government and all the other wonderful things that come with, uh, with, uh, participating in sport in general um so um this race was uh, at least a good reminder that hey in the in, in all of this hellscape 
you could still be a little bit proud and for whatever it's worth to be an American in some regards. Eight out of ten needed more stats and hats. It did. It did. Good <laughs> shit. Good shit and well said, Mr. O'Connell. Um, yeah, to say the least. Uh, hey, but hey, they could be buying Manchester United, which totally doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. Um, shall we get into the news, fellas? Yeah, we got it. We got it. We got the pack news edition. Yes, sir. Yeah. So after this musical break, we'll be back to talk the news. Again, as, as RJ alluded to, loaded new section this week. And we start with Formula 1, and we have another seat confirmed um, at Force India, even though we kind of know where the second one's going already. But uh, more, but uh, mm-hmm. Sergio Perez confirmed at Force India for another year, for 2019. For his sixth season with the team. Yeah, God, that, that, that's rare to see a guy do six years with one team these days. That's... Uh, Good God. That's kind of crazy, to say the least, that the, that's yeah. a thing. But uh, yeah, Perez back for 2019, which is kind of crazy because not long ago, um, <laughs> we were thinking he was going to lose his seat and lose out in that fight. But uh, it, 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 it turns out it's, it's quite the opposite. Perez is now going to be the, the team leader and the backbone going forward. And well, we all know the rumors are strong that Lance Stroll will probably be joining him. Apparently, he's, he's yeah. set for his- especially especially when you consider that he's going to be testing with that at Abu Dhabi. Um, totally not confirmed. Driver- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if you if you need a driver that'll that'll pay the bills, you can't get you to be hard pressed to find somebody worse than Sergio Perez who, again, has eight podium finishes since his Formula One debut in 2011. This will be his ninth season. Just with Force India alone, he has five of his podium finishes. Indeed. I mean, I think it's easy to get wrapped up. Um, because, this, okay, Perez has not been as spectacular the last couple of years as he's been in the past. Um, I think Esteban Ocon has been a very, very good measure for him. And, mm-hmm. yeah, Perez, I think, has genuinely lost his head a couple of times with his teammate, which is a shame. But it's easy to forget yeah. he is still a very, very good racing driver. A very top 10 in the World Drivers' Championship in the last five, in the last five seasons. Um, if he holds where he's at right now in seventh, it'll be the third consecutive year that he's finished seventh in the championship. Of course, the last two years, he's had back-to-back 100-point seasons. Yeah, he is... Yeah, he, he is a very, very good driver. Probably the most consistently solid midfielder in Formula 1 and has been for the last decade or so. Um, Perez is, is still a very good driver and has every right to be there. It's a sh- I mean, it's a shame that uh, Ocon's is still up in the air, which we'll get to in a minute, but it's looking very much like Perez and Stroll at Force India next year, which kind of what the form book suggested. So... Yeah, you know, can't say much more than that. Again, I didn't, I did not know until reading the set list RJ put up today that uh, Stroll's got a force in the test at Abu Dhabi after the season finishes. So yeah, I mean, it's totally not confirmed, you guys, but it's totally confirmed um, that Stroll's going to be there next year. So that should be interesting. Yeah. I mean, did 
I mean, we already talked a little bit about George Russell last week and um, him being confirmed for the Williams seat. It was kind of leaked out on the F1 subreddit a few weeks prior, which is great. Someone's out of a job. Oops. But, um, Oops. but uh, that was confirmed last week, George Russell. In case you guys missed last week's show, George Russell being confirmed at Williams for next year. And, I love uh, it. Which, which, yeah, I mean, great. I mean, it's very easy to get confused as well that, uh, you know, and frustrated about the way talent's going in and out of F1, but let's not forget George Russell is probably going to win the Formula 2 championship um, at the end of the year, and uh, he's a damn good racing driver, and he should be in F1, so congrats to George Russell. I've not said that publicly on the air, but uh, he's, he's a damn solid driver, and I look forward to seeing what he can do finishing 15th in that Williams. Um, <laughs> and alongside him, it looks like all of a sudden with breaking news today that Esteban Ocon could be a frontrunner for that Williams seat after all. Yeah. Tell us more, King. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems like through a stunning turn of events, Esteban Ocon is seeming to be a contender uh, for the second seat. I know uh, me and Hazel briefly discussed it last week in relation to George Russell, where uh, the two contenders for uh, for the second seat, see, it was seemingly that Sergei Sorokin was going to retain the seat. Uh, there are rumors that Artem Markov could get the seat, but obviously that has changed. Uh, now the situation revolving Sergei Sorokin being able to get funding for the seat may have also changed. Boris Rottenberg has had all of his assets frozen. Who is Boris Rottenberg? He just so happens to be the main financial backer, I believe. Is he the founder of... Of, uh... Yeah, he's the founder of S&P Bank. Oh, yes, the S&P. Wait, that S&P, doesn't that sound familiar? Yes, you know, they funded many a Russian driver, including uh, Mikhail Lotion's venture into into IndyCar, uh, the S&P Racing, uh, the S&P Racing LMP1 project, you know, the BR1. Ah. BR for Boris Rottenberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's one that's that I feel is going to have like widespread effects. I mean, my goodness, um, the big problem that ultimately led to Mikhail Lotion um, getting the foot out the door and uh, into IndyCar was that S and P Racing just wasn't making the payments uh, yes. on a consistent basis. Um, and if he's having all his assets frozen, I mean, that's that's going to be threatening to like a, to their sports car programs in particular across multiple classes of competition. Yes, and also S&P Bank is the title sponsor of the Northern European Formula 4 Championship, <sighs> which is important because his assets were in Swedish and Finnish banks, and the sanctions that caused accounts to be frozen were placed in 2014. The reason why those banks increased assets ah. is because he's also a Finnish citizen. But I don't never, know right? why they chose now, but they chose now. I will say this. I will say this. I know everybody is down on Williams for a very good reason. I know we're down on the prospect of George Russell going to battle for 15th with Williams and Esteban Ocon taking a huge downgrade. But I kind of feel like if you're Claire Williams, take the best drivers you can, even if it means you have to soul your soul <laughs> to the Toto for just one season <laughs> because if if they can't turn your team around very true who the hell else very is out there true. that will <sighs> i look this forward man. to hwa race lab williams your your <laughs> this could be you racing competing in 2019 i'm here for it 
I am here for that. Um, I am absolutely here for that. That, sh that should be interesting. I, ho I hope Ocon. I hope Ocon. I hope Ocon gets him, and I hope Williams finds a way to get back up the field. It's it's not quite the same when Williams aren't involved. They're, they're... It's not quite the same when McLaren and Williams, the dynasties of twenty to twenty five years ago, are still battling it out fiercely for non points paying positions in the teens. Yes. And a quick update about them fighting for non-points-paying positions. Those will remain to be non-points-paying yeah, so positions. Yeah, so we're not doing uh, top 20 points. We're not paying out all point-scored positions. So, like so, so somebody card. turned off the mod and the motorsport manager option for it then, no? <laughs> yes. Yeah, because there, there was talk about everybody gets points like IndyCar, and uh, that's not happening. Yeah, they were like, everybody gets points, then maybe just the top 15. Yep. Now nah, we'll just stick with top ten. Yeah, you, you don't need a motor. It's a good system. It's fine how it is. They they they, they changed the one problem with the old ten eight six system, which was there wasn't enough credit for winning a race. They changed that. I like it. Leave it alone. It is fine how it is. I think I think changing it like changing it to the top fifteen will probably it'll mean more for the battle for fourth in the constructors and sixth in the drivers. Besides that, it wouldn't have much other. Agree. Effect. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine how it is. Um, I, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all for that. <laughs> Let's go over the pond to IndyCar, and this was a big clanger that dropped, I think, on Tuesday last week. Turns out, turns out, McLaren will not be competing in IndyCar next year. Um, I'll be there. I'll be there. This is the hashtag Fred Watch theme. Uh, Fred Watch is uh, Fred. Watch is starting to dissipate a bit. A bit? It's yeah. dead in the water. We're, we're, yeah, Fred Watch season is starting to cool down. We're heading into the deep, dark winter. The deep, dark winter of Fernando just driving endurance cars until until next year. Sigh. So, yeah. Yeah. Turns out, I mean, as King pointed out on our hangout a couple weeks ago, he said it's getting quite close to the crunch time point where McLaren were going to have to make a hard decision as whether they were going to run an Indy car or not. Turns out the answer is not, and uh, according to Fernando Alonso, he was like, ha, it was never going to be a thing all along, <laughs> suckers, take that. Um, basically, <laughs> where he said it was, he said, and I quote, it was never an option, and he, he apparently he had known since August that he was never going to drive an IndyCar full time. He was playing us. He was, oh man, right. They played us like a... Played us like a damn fiddle. <laughs> you all bought it. You all bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. You all bought it. Uh, Even Andretti. Even Michael Andretti off. bought it. RJ is way off script right now. Um, oh, son of a bitch. What? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, apparently, according to Alonso, he said it was never an option to begin with and that he had known since August, so it doesn't bother him whatsoever. On a scale of one to Mari, po Mari Povich paternity test, how much do you believe Fernando right now? Uh, I believe the fact that he, he knew he wasn't coming. Uh, the other parts... I don't believe no. <laughs> you don't go out there and test an indie car if you say you have no chance of driving the car at all. Like, yeah, even a Alon Alonso has said he wants to do the Indy 500 again. He's got plenty of free time to do it. Right. As 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 um, Charles puts out in our Discord, I said he did it for the clout, and I think that is a fair shot because Fernando only worries about one thing, and that's Fernando the brand. Um, and yeah, I will say though. 
IndyCar, I know you really want the guy to come over full-time because the the pull that he brought in for the 2017 EDF 500 was massive. But don't do it at the expense of the drivers that you know are already there just to try and just like, hey, hey, you up? Hey, girl, you up? <laughs> yeah, like, like, like IndyCar and Fernando is like one stage away from like, he's not going to fuck you stage here at this point. That's what it- I showed you my chemo cap. Please respond. <laughs> it's it's American branded and everything, um, but uh, yeah. Because it- I'm pretty sure I said it on the show before. Fernando Alonso has reached a point in his career where he's thinking about I need to leave a legacy because he knows that just being a two-time Formula One World Champion, especially in today's world, doesn't mean much when you know. Both both Lewis and Vettel have four. Pretty much the only other champions who have less, you know, less titles than he does and that are still active participants are, you know... Kimmy. Yeah, Kimmy and, uh, yeah, Kimmy and Jensen Button. That's, yeah. that's it. And they are not in the ballpark of the really big hitters like Sebastian and Lewis, so... So, Alonso doesn't, like, it... it it sounds kind of arrogant, but Alonso doesn't want to be in the same grouping as, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, Nico Rosberg, and Jensen Button. He wants to be compared to Vettel and Hamilton, and he knows that he's not going to get any more championships with F1, so he's like, how can I make my legacy look triple better than it is? Yeah, triple the crown. Triple crown, which we only started caring about now because Fernando is going for it. Because of Alonso. Right. <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny how we all just get sucked into whatever Alonso's doing these days. It's hilarious. Um, speaking of IndyCar, a bit more news where that's concerned. And uh, our favourite struggling Emirati slash um, aspiring Brit, Ed Jones, is back in IndyCar for next season. After, after yes. leaving Chip Ganassi, he is going to Ed Carpenter Racing to drive the 20 car in a partnership. With the two-edded monster. That is a... <laughs> that is a brilliant hashtag, by the way. Whoever in social media came up with that one deserves a raise. Well played, that person. Um, yes, he's driving the number 20 Ed Carpenter racing car in partnership with Scuderia Corsa, who always had an interest in running a car full-time next season after the uh, success of their first appearance at this year's 500 with Oriel Servia. Um, Servia was gunning for that seat, didn't quite get it. Ed Jones is there instead. He'll be there for the whole season, including the Indy 500 with, in the Scuderia Corsa car, and he'll be a dark horse to watch. And he goes very well at Indianapolis indeed. But uh, but oh, uh, yeah. great to see Ed Jones back in this series. a very talented driver. Remember, we all forget two years ago, did great work with Dale Coyne. Um, probably a bit too big a leap for him a bit too soon, given the expectations at Chip. But uh, I- I'm all for this. This is an exciting move, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Jones is getting another shot. And I got another quick piece of IndyCar mm. news Ooh. because someone leaked a bit of information oh. accidentally. Uh, so James Sullivan of, you know, Sullivan Vassar, uh, during a, c- a couple of interviews about the new, you know, IMSA project, um, kind of let leak that they're taking delivery of their own DW12. Oh. <laughs> well now. What new that's for? Well, he kind he. Yeah, he said that the car would be that the car would be in the shop in about a month's time. Uh, then he realized he shouldn't have said that, 
that didn't explain anything further. Um, (laughs) But he also iterated that this won't affect anything with, you know, uh, Dale Coyne Racing and their partnership with Sebastian Bourdais for next season. But plans are coming together for the future. Yeah. Um, Case in point also, um, do you remember a team called KB Racing Technology? You probably should because they were here not Mm -hmm. too long ago. You know who their owners were? Jimmy Vassar and James Sullivan. They're starting up their own uh, IMSA partnership. They've now got the uh, the Let's contract in GT Daytona. Um, I don't think I don't. I think they'll be at a point soon where they'll become their own uh, IndyCar team again at some point. May not be now, but um, but sometime down the road. Sounds promising. Certainly sounds promising. Um, good stuff there in the gig. And as mentioned, great to have Jones back as well. Formula E! Tell us more. Uh, Valencia testing. Uh, King, our resident electronic, uh, electric racing correspondent that is not Hazel Southwell. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be back up. <laughs> this, this, this show's run on long enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Tell us what, we love you, Hazel. We, we kid, we kid. Um, but yeah, tell us, tell us a bit more about how testing went, King. <laughs> oh, testing, testing, testing. Uh, uh, Valencia, it was... It was wetter than people expected it to be. <laughs> Damn, it was moist. <laughs> Super moist. Mm. Damn. <laughs> Damn, I wish I could get someone as wet as testing was at Valencia. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> We're done. We're off the air. <laughs> we are so finished. Um. <laughs> but with testing means confirmed driver lineups. Well, most of them were confirmed. A lot just got, a couple got just made really ambiguous. In- indeed. Well, for, let, let's go from the top. It was confirmed a couple of days before the test. Stoffel Van Dorn is coming home to HWA. Yeah. <sighs> Yep. So Stoffel does have a ride next year alongside longtime DTM driver and Formula One test driver Gary hey. Pathan. Who just after who just before the Van Dorn signing, uh, won his third DTM title in his last season. That is pretty yes. astonishing. <laughs> On paper Literally Yeah, Pathan and Mercedes taking the trophy and going home. They're putting it in the fridge alongside the peanut butter and the WWE championship belt. Yep. (laughs) We'll have, like, the Repsol Honda-style gone fishing board for Casey Stoner's last race. (laughs) All all the leaving memes. All of them. Um, But, uh, yeah, great great to see that. I mean, great to see. I hope HWA gives Stoffel the best possible chance because I think... The guy, I think, just needs to get his confidence back and just needs to have a team that has complete faith in him um, rather than just say, hey, it's the car's fault. Sorry, bye, Stoffel. Hi, Carlos. How you doing? Um... <laughs> yeah, it's it's not going to be an easy climb because they're a mm. new team, but it, it's it's not going to be the hardest because everyone has to start from scratch with the new Gen 2 cars Indeed. anyway. Yeah, it looks like sets. It sounds amazing. It really does. Yeah. It sounds like a jet fighter. Sad. It's fucking great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got more. Uh, we got more recently displaced Formula One drivers who deserve better going to Formula E as well. Uh, Laura's favorite son, Pascal Verline, um, <laughs> is heading over to Mahindra. That's a hell of a coup for Mahindra. Jeez. Yeah, 
Yep. yep, they're redo- retooling the team. Rosenquist going to IndyCar. Heidfeld stepping way in their place. You get Pascal Verline, a DTM champion. Uh, and Jerome D'Ambrosio. Jerome! Jerome is back. <sighs> nice. Yeah, Jerome D'Ambrosio in a, in a working Formula E car is a very, very good driver indeed. So... Uh, multiple race winner in the past as well. Um, we know whenever Lucas gets disqualified for something. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a formidable Mahindra team going forward. And you know, I, I like Mahindra. I hope they do well. I mean, I love, I've always loved them in Moto Three when they were riding in bikes, and they're one of the real first you know big factories to commit to the series. And that's a hell of a team. Like if Pascal Verlaine can adapt quickly, then look out. Um, he's, we all know he's a very talented driver indeed. Um, again, just another guy that probably needs support, and uh, yeah, him and and Dan Barroso is probably going to hit the ground running. Head of a team from where I'm sitting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Mahindra didn't have the best of seasons no. last year compared to the the other seasons, but hopefully they turn things very around. Strong, but yeah, yeah Rosenquist just seemed to you know have his bum fall out towards the end of last season. Um, yeah. But uh, he- here's the sketchy one here, King. Nissan. <laughs> now, we-, we heard about a month ago that Nissan had made an early commitment that, yeah, Alex Albon is joining Nissan alongside Sebastian Buemi um, for season five. And we were like, oh, wow, that's a massive coup for Formula E. You know, you've got, you know, an elite level driver, super license eligible, you know, Albon, who's running third in the Formula 2 championship right Second now. now. Second, Second now. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, he he went from being an outsider when he got signed to, like, there's a chance he could win this championship. The reigning F2 champion could go to Formula E. Oh, hail the TIE fighter from London. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it looked like Albon was going to come over and again. And we thought, oh, God, what a massive coup for the series this is. Dot, dot, dot. Wait, where's Alex at this test? Why is he not here? Um, and then the story comes out on motorsport.com. Dr. Marco. Yes, that Dr. Marco. In talks with Nissan about an early release on Albon's contract. And, well, by the looks of it, King, it's looking like significant progress has been made because Albon no-showed the test. And Nissan are yeah. kind of unsure as to what's going to happen next. Yeah, n- Nissan are in, in negotiations... Uh, team boss over at Edams, John Paul Zrio, is not happy about these no, negotiations. Not in the slightest. Can you blame him? <laughs> no, John Paul Drio. Like, yeah, and that might get awkward because John Paul Drio is Alex Albon's team boss in Formula 2. Oh, God. Yes. I didn't know that. That's Yeah, because he drives for Dams in Formula 2. Yeah, oh that's, why it was such, that's why it was such a convenient fit. Very convenient, of course, Alex Albon being a former Red Bull-backed driver. Um, it is all sorts of messy here, folks. And yeah, by the sounds of it, given that Brendan Hartley's talking like a man that has one foot out the door already, and given that Albon didn't show up for the test and was replaced by Oliver Rowland a little bit later on, brackets, he, he, wouldn't he be nice in Formula E? Uh, yeah, close, like- close brackets. Um <laughs> It looks like Albon's going to Toro Rosso alongside, you know, alongside Daniel Kvyat for next year, which is nice, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it would feel weird from a perspective of like, well, you got the number one and number three Formula Two drivers in the grid. Why don't you get the number two? Mm. And uh, you know, I floated around like, hey, you know, Hartley's not happy where he's at. Albon wants a chance at F one. Why not just do a straight trade? You get Hartley in a factory seat where you know it can thrive. 
And, uh, you know, that team is only going to get better. They're a proven winner. And uh, Albon could get the chance at F1 to go mix it up with Nor- the- Norris and Russell again. Yeah. Three F2 graduates in the same year. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, that'd be that'd be a coup for F2 to prove that, you know, they're relevant. Yeah. Just, Hell yeah. yeah. To get, in, a, in a season that's been criticized for bottlenecking young talent, to get three promoted drivers in the, in the series next year, that would be cool. And it- and it ain't all bad because the second Giat's Dragon Seat is still open and they tested two F2 drivers, Matsy Gunther and Antonio Fuoco, mm. over, the, uh, over the test. Two talented dudes right there, for sure. Um, one of King's beloved boys, Max Gunther, so that would be pretty sick. So, uh, yeah, I'm here for all of that. Um, that sounds pretty spicy, to say the least. Uh, more on Formula E in the future. Yeah. No, no, yeah. we're not. We're not oh, done. Not, not, not done. quite because because um, because BMW looks we don't quick. Know. No, no, no. We're not done with this story. Go on. Uh, it's seeming likely it won't be a straight trade. Uh, Rio has already said that he's already had fifteen to twenty guys like email him asking if if they could get a shot at the seat. Mm. Obviously, with Albon no showing the test, they had to get a driver to replace him. They got uh, former Dams Formula Two driver Oliver Rowland. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, Nissan has a stack bots of factory drivers across uh, multiple continents who have been floated around. Uh, Jan Martinborough is a name that immediately comes to mind mm. when you think of young drivers who would immediately be a plug and play option who have been Nissan lifers from the get go. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so basically, Drio kind of expanded that uh, Oliver Rowland is in consideration for the race seat. Uh, they already had him pegged to be the team's third, you know, test, to be the test right. driver. Uh, Rowland kind of downplayed his chances. Like, he, he, quote, obviously, I came here and covered, super subbed for them again, a bit like I did with Nicholas Latifi at the start of the year in F2 testing. Latifi was out with an illness, so he couldn't drive. Uh, but let's see. But let's see. Obviously, that uh, let's. But let's see. Obviously, I'd like to race in Formula E. So we'll see what they come up with. End quote. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, and also, Oliver Rollins done a one-off in this series before. He has indeed. Yes. Um, so that should be interesting to keep an eye on. Um. Yeah. So, King, where you want to go next? <laughs> Oh, RJ, you're talking about BMW? Yeah, um, fastest times of the test. Um, Antonio Felix DaCosta with the only one sub 117 lap of 116,977. Alexander Sims with the third fastest overall time, slotting in between defending champion John Eric Verne, who had the second fastest overall time. Um, when all looked like it was uh, looking not good for, uh, for Andretti Motorsport, um, since BMW is backing up the money truck, whoosh, oh, they could be ones to watch. Whew. Definitely, definitely ones to watch there. Just to show. Also, fellas, can we can we get some agreements on some livery designs, please, going forward? Yeah, it's it's, it's getting a bit confusing out there. I'm just I'm just saying, like there is more than three colors available. I'm just saying, you know. They don't, they don't have to be various shades of grey and fluorescent green. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there, okay? Like, get Hazel on that. She's, she's influential. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. But, 
No, yeah, but um, uh, uh, King, I think you pointed this out just before we went live on the air as well. Uh, the f- the FIA Formula Three list came out. Yeah, yeah, we got the uh, we got the FIA Formula Three, the International Formula Three Championship. Woo! Thirty cars, ten teams, uh, and some familiar faces from Formula Three who missed the cut. Goodbye, Van Amersfoort Racing. Adios, Motor Park. Sayonara, Arden International. You are not part of the cut. But we do have ART Grand Prix. We do have Prima. We do have Carlin. Um, and we got a 30-car grid. This is going to be pretty good. It looks pretty spicy from where I'm sitting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's looking to be a, the most competitive Formula 3 championship uh, though it's it's a bit sad to see some teams miss out, mm. because of what I think uh, Moto uh, Moto Park, uh, Van Amsfort, and Arden all won't be taking part in the championship. Uh, I think Arden was the only team that elected not to just not to be in the championship, but Van Amsfort and Moto Park uh, bidded for a place and couldn't get entry. Yeah, which means now they're going to be in the awkward position of perhaps looking at which regional European Formula 3 championship they want to take part of. Notice we said which one, as in to say it's implied there will be multiple ones. Because Mm. the bid for the proposed regional championship went to Italy, but Renault Sport wanted it, and they're planning on going ahead with their own series anyway. Yes, so the bid went to the Automobile Club d'Italia, the, yes. the National Automobile Club of Italy. The series, though, will be promoted by uh, World Karting. So they promote the World Karting Championship as well as Italian Formula 4. Uh, so, yeah, they'll have their own series. Uh, Renault Sport also bid for the for a, the for to be the regional European series. They lost and decided they're going to run a regional Formula 3 series anyway. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Yes, the uh, the uh, the Formula 3 Racing League and the uh, and the Dallara presents the Formula 3 World Series powered by Mercedes. <laughs> and obviously, uh, as I mentioned last week, the W Series is technically technically going to be a regional Formula 3 series, though it's going to be a uh, single entity just like say major league soccer when it first started so the league runs all the teams themselves gotcha gotcha mm. okie dokie and hey we we almost forgot about the formula three in the present we got our macau grand prix entry list over the weekend mm. let's just hit Ooh. the heavy hitters dan ticked him back as the heel champion yeah. <laughs> mick schumer back as the baby face challenger joel erickson's coming in from the dtm Ooh. sophia flourish is there for van amersfoort yes. shosu boy won 17 out of 19 races in japan and he's coming with toms oh yes we we got look at this grid we got we got jury vips we got Juan Yu Zhao, Ralph Aaron, Marcus Armstrong, Jehan Darvala, Callum Eilitz coming back, Sasha Fenestras, and of course... No, we have, yeah, talk about it. Ferdinand. <laughs> Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Maria Balthus, Keith, Michael, Otto, Antel, Bonham, Leonard, Von Hapsford, Lothringen. He's back. He's back for another shot. Yes, sir. I'm here for all of this. That's, uh... Yep, that is uh, that is November eighteenth. It's gonna be fun, and we will review it right here on Motorsport One Hundred and One in November. Looking forward to that. 
My money is on the number seven car, TBA. Get it done. <laughs> TBA. Dale Coyne's favorite driver. Um, but, uh, RJ, take us through the Japan section. Uh, yes, uh, this Japan section takes us to Autopolis Circuit, one-time proposed venue of the Formula One Japanese Grand Prix, where we had the Autopolis GT 300-kilometer race, the penultimate round of the Super GT Championship. Uh, we had something we don't normally see in a Super GT, a team orders controversy. Mm-hmm. The two Lexus Team Thomas cars were running one and two ahead of each other, 36 of Kaz Nakajima and Yuhi Sekiguchi leading, with Ryo Hirakawa and Nick Cassidy in the number one keeper Tom's car running right behind him. At this point in the race, with uh, the Rayburg NSX of Naoki Yamamoto and Jensen Button fifth, uh, if they finish like this, uh, both Tom's cars would be within seven points of the championship. But if, let's say... They were to switch positions, then that would put Hirokawa and Cassidy tied with Yamamoto and Button. Mm. So with six laps to go, Hirokawa goes up the hill at uh, at the hairpin turn 11, which is one of the best places to pass up there. And Sekiguchi is normally very racy and aggressive, does not offer much of a defense. Tom's team principal, Masanori Sekia, said Sekiguchi just had a problem in the car, and that's why they switched the positions. Mm. Jensen Button believes they were just being shady about team orders, saying, the thing about team orders is that it happens, but you at least need to be truthful. This is not the truth, with two exclamation marks. Yikes. <laughs> so, out of all of this, the championship in GT500 is now leveled going into the final race of the season at Twin Ring Matagi in three weeks' time. A 250k race where it's basically winner-take-all between those two cars. And uh, the 36 car of Nakajima and Sekiguchi is still championship eligible, but now they have to come back from 12 points down. And the Arda NSS of Tomoki Nojiri and Takaizawa, oh golly, they had a pretty rough day it was a miracle that they're still in championship contention now they're 17 points back where they could have taken the lead and now basically have to win the final race of the season but it is going to come down to Letsis versus honda motegi is typically honda's home court but they haven't won there since 2009 indeed so get get intense there in the run-up towards the end of super gt rj as well isn't the Super Formula Series finale, um, finale this weekend as well? Yes, that's why we're getting into this coming week. Um, the Jaff Grand Prix at Suzuka Circuit. Um, so there are five drivers who are mathematically eligible for the title. Only three of them are within... Two of them need a miracle to happen. And the top three are within four, five points of each other. Nick Cassidy leads with 29 points. Hiroki Ishiro is in second at 25. Naoki Yamamoto is at 24, but he has more wins than any other driver. He has two, where all the others have one. Yuhi Sekiguchi and Ryo Hirakawa are at 17 points apiece. Now, in the final race of the season, it does pay out the standard 10, 8, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 for the top eight. But you also get a bonus point per pole position. And in the final race of the season, you get three bonus points for winning. Yikes. It's going to get fun, and the monolith will have it on their streaming service. Maybe you should watch it together. Hmm, there's an idea. I do have Sunday off. Just just throwing that out there. Oh, um, uh, yes. Hmm, okay. Oh, yeah, Mexico City and the Mexican Grand Yeah, that's that too. too. I, 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 I'm just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Yeah, who cares, <laughs> right? Um, all of that will be featured on next week's show. On next week's Motorsport 101, the Mexican Grand Prix, and what will most likely be the coronation of Lewis Hamilton, five-time Formula One world champion, Super Formula finale as well, and probably a bunch of other news-related things as well. Basically, you can find us one more time before we get out of here. We're on YouTube.com, forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com, forward slash Motorsport 101, or on Twitter, at Motorsport underscore 101, at Harrison 101 HD, at Ryan Eric King, and at RJ O'Connell, and our personal handles. And you can back us financially on Patreon if you really like us, Patreon.com, forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, $5 gets you early access to both this show and to Bike Live. Bike Live will return with episode 84 next weekend um it is a big one obviously we'll be reviewing all the moto gp action from mategi and the japanese grand prix as mark marquez would win from sixth on the grid to capture his seventh world title um in an epic dog fight between him and dovi and well dovi fell at the final furlong sign but uh, all of that Cal Crutchlow on the podium becomes the first Brit to pass a thousand top flight points good for him Alex Rins on the podium as well for Suzuki that's always fun and controversy in the Moto2 race as well um, with uh, Fabio Quattararo winning only to then be disqualified for having an illegally low tyre pressure. Um, giving the win to Peko Baniaia, um, and you know, further cementing his championship lead, and another chaotic Moto3 race as well, as Jorge Martin fell, um, basically handing the championship back into a level playing field with Marco Bezzecchi, who would steal uh, the, um, the, the first win, what would have been the first win for Darren Binder um, in, a, in a chaotic Moto3 um, title fight, uh, epic title fight race. So, uh, yeah, big, big, big implications where that's concerned. A massive amount of uh, race-worthy news to come out of Mategi. All of that on Bike Live 84, uh, um, the Magnificent Seven, coming out this weekend. Uh, thanks as well to all of our guys listening in on Patreon. The back to the Tendal level is in our Discord server right now. Black and Mile, Cam, Charles, Steve, and Brian. Thanks for listening in as always. Much appreciated. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll be back for Bike Live later this week. I think we guys are recording on Thursday afternoon for those guys that want to listen in to that. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye! So who's bringing beer for this coronation then? Uh, it's got Dos Equis? No, it's got to be Takati. Come on, <laughs> come on, Sebastian. Be, be bold. bold. <laughs>